0: Unleash the beast. I ain't trust the police, I not trust for me. Way they send to me, it's trust to me. See these nobody's trying to kill the queen. You've got best the three, then it's time for me. I'm very excited to invite my guest, Stuart Thornton from Hula, uh, which is a by now pay later company based out of Singapore. Hi Stuart, how are you going?
1: Hey, good afternoon. I'm very well. And you and yourself, Nabi?
0: Not too bad at all. Uh, how's has work been since in lockdown? We've been in lockdown as well. Uh, my team and I we've been working remotely. Took a little bit of adjusting for sure, um, but I think we've we've kind of gotten used to it uh, for the better part of it. How how are you coping with the the changes?
1: Yeah, I think we're 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 doing reasonably well. I mean, uh, the irony actually is that uh, we've probably got even better at uh, at working together. Uh, It sort of forces everybody to, you know, to communicate um, a little bit better. You know, use video, for example, to and to sort of share and and, and talk to each other, and and you you sort of force some discipline around that uh, structure of communication. So actually, uh, it's ironic ironic that I think that we've probably done better from that perspective. Um, Business has been crazy. I think uh, that's probably the only word that I can use. Um, You know, it it, it seems to seems to be that uh, the kind of business model that we've got is. Something that people quite like um, using at this time, uh, and so it's uh, it's been uh, you know really busy, and it's very 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 easy to get out of bed and work, and uh, and then all of a sudden it's night time again. And uh, you <laughs> know, the, the, probably the uh, the importance is to try and find some discipline around uh, you know you know having some time out. Uh, actually, being the probably the hardest thing, but it's uh, it's all good. We only get to do this uh, most people at least once, so we might as well enjoy it and make the most of it as anyway
0: yeah absolutely so we've got few people joining i'm going to encourage the audience to ask questions as we move through this this fireside chat which is very virtual um kind of also getting used to having conversations uh with people so that we keep the community live and and get to have this sense of connection even though we're we're apart but on the flip side uh you're all the way in singapore and if i were to talk to you we have to do this anyway don't you
1: think really?
0: so let's start off with with you Stuart a little bit about um who you are I know you have a very interesting story who you are and how you ended up in in Singapore and a little bit about Hula
1: yeah absolutely um I mean personally um, I'm from England originally um I think uh, my accent still still shows that um I I grew up in uh, sort of southeast England um I think I always had a burning desire to uh, to 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 leave and ex- sort of explore the rest of the world and and had the fortune of moving to uh, Amsterdam in in the Netherlands for a bit with work uh, to Ireland and and then uh, I probably most fortuitously had the opportunity to uh, to do what a lot of POMs do and and travel to Australia and uh, and settle in Sydney actually for for about uh, about seven seven years in um in total um, where uh, I'm te- technically I also have a passport for Australia as well um, in my in my time there so. Uh, Singapore sees me now as an Australian rather than uh, rather than English. But um, again, it was work that that, that uh, took me to Singapore. You know, like a lot of people, I um, had an opportunity to move move up here. Um, and give or take uh, a year or so, I, I've been here ever since. So it's about sort of, 12, 12 years in total. Um, I guess sort of oppor- opportunity, yeah, I'm not, not as, well. as the phrase I'm goes. The I'm there, so, uh, move, so move, Singapore move sees me now as an
0: Australian.
1: Uh, into the e-commerce sort of payment space in in 2014, with a company called Worldpay, um, who who uh, uh, re- reasonably sort of big, I think now in in Australia too, and had the opportunity to understand a little bit more about you know potential opportunities, and and then sort of seeing you know the buy now pay later space grow in Europe and uh, obviously in Australia, I think uh, a lot of the people that. Uh, that you talk to, and uh, you know, with uh, with your sort of customers and audience, will will most definitely know what this sort of concept concept looks like. Um, and really, the opportunity for us was to take that idea into into Asia, um, you know, starting uh, starting in Singapore, and so that, that's what we did in the uh, so beginning of twenty eighteen at least, um, so officially uh, to to bring that sort of solution here.
0: So born in London came to Australia ended up in Singapore um, and you're also an advisor and mentor to a whole range of uh, startup programs like tech stars and startup boot camp um, what what led you to decide to move to Singapore and headquarter in Singapore as opposed to Australia
1: yeah I mean I, I was already here really I think at that point um, so that the choice was was sort of less one to, to move to the to Singapore for this um, and so really, really uh, you know, it, it was born here. I, I was sort of already based here. Um, and the opportunity was more so uh, seeing, you know, wonderful models that, uh, again, you know, Australia is quite prevalent at this day and age. And really seeing the opportunity uh, for, that merchants or at least retailers were looking to solve or problems they were looking to solve, which were all been, already being solved in markets like, you know, Europe and like Australia and, and now perhaps the US. And, and so that was the biggest opp- opportunity for us. And, you know, perhaps relevant to the, the sort of startup base, you know, I, I was sort of somewhat fortunate to, to be introduced to uh, that area. And perhaps that was probably the best introduction because I sort of saw what it really looked like other than just the, the glamour, perhaps, that some people have a view of that around, uh, you know, setting up a business and being in, you know, sort of startup. Um, you know g- Glamor is perhaps not the, quite the word I'd use now, but uh, yeah, uh, that's uh, it was a good introduction.
0: startups are glamorous
1: <laughs> well I think I think a lot of people definitely have a have a, a view of that being the case you know it's sort of quite cool and quite hot right now as the phrase goes but you know you, you get a lot of that sometimes from people when you interview them for example, you know why do you want to join a startup it's oh it's because it's cool et cetera et cetera. and you know, the realization is is that um, yeah it, I mean it's it's a different type of living and a different type of working uh, you know, to sort of big corporate. Um, but there are definitely some trade-offs and some sacrifices that perhaps people don't quite appreciate, but it uh, uh, kind of de- depends what you like.
0: What are some of those sacrifices? You know, there is this cons- this um, concept that people have in their mind that's to start up. like this, you know, the, the new world celebrity status. And at the end of the day, you're still trying to build a business um and and about those trade-offs what are some of those trade-offs that you've had to make to build Hula
1: um well yeah I mean, money's probably the big one you know but yeah there's definitely not a lot of uh, you know sort of uh, uh, income that, com- that comes with that and um I mean me personally you move to Singapore you, you work for a, a big company it comes with some you know interesting uh trappings of of that sort of lifestyle you know the the you have nice uh, apartment buildings here that come with swimming pools and in a certain degree of of help you know at home if if you you come with a family as well um and it's quite hard to you know to to give a lot of that up um in relative terms And, and especially when it comes to sort of managing family and being used to having a certain type of lifestyle and all of a sudden you know literally cutting it off at the um, at the legs and having to live a very different uh, you know, sort of way. I mean, I, I, you, your living locations definitely change. Um, your, your, your you where know, you eat definitely changes. I mean, uh, you know, fortunate that we here we have uh, certain sort of food markets that you can go to where you can get uh, some fairly cheap food for you know under five dollars. And I, I definitely lived that for for a good twelve months and uh, and still still to to a deg- to, uh, you know to a degree. But um, you know, it's a it's a it's a it's a big change. Um, but I, again, it's, um, I think it depends on what you like, um, you know, working for big companies can be great as well. If that's what you like, if, you, if you're perhaps a little bit more uh, creative and uh, independent and uh, looking for sort of some, that next big thing, you know, definitely startups is something that's quite exciting as well to, to make those decisions and move quickly, you know, perhaps you can't do it necessarily in uh, in bigger organizations.
0: Yeah, very very much so. I, I worked in academia for many, many years before jumping into this the startup world. But if somebody had told me if it was going to be like this, I don't think anybody would start knowing the grind and the hard work and the sacrifices that you have to make. But once you're in, uh, it's also very hard to give up as well. It's, it's a really weird paradox. Um, and I think founders have... Um, either in their DNA or, or their purpose that really drives them um, is what keeps people going on and on and on um, and, and getting back up after massive failures or massive setbacks. Um, so I can, I can totally relate to that. Uh, I want to quickly jump into uh, buy now, pay later as a concept. Uh, In the last couple of years, it has exploded and and have become this really trendy thing. Um, Maybe you can give us some insight around why Buy Now, Pay Later, like Afterpay and Zip and all of these companies have exploded and have changed the way consumers uh, interact with e-commerce platforms and credit cards have been Around for a very long time. So, why this concept? Why now? What are some of the catalysts for it?
1: It's a re- that's a super question. I, I think there's there's not really one uh, clear answer. A lot of it depends on you know perhaps where this opportunity is uh, is it, it, being explored. I mean, you, you look at Europe, for example, that you know perhaps credit cards weren't necessarily um, an, an option and they weren't necessarily very popular in certain markets. Um, you look at Australia. You know, I, I remember the the layby, you know, model. It's you know effectively you know, a lot of buy now pay later is the same, if, if not you know reversed and, and perhaps a little bit more digital. Um, so I, I think the the grounds for you know the growth that differs based on the, the the user opportunity in those respective markets and, and, and countries. Um, that there are probably a few a few trends though perhaps that do, do uh, transcend all those different markets, and I, and I think it's is perhaps perhaps a little bit more you know demographic driven you know you're seeing uh, the gen z you know the millennials uh, perhaps having a little bit more money in their pocket um, in general they uh, they they growing up with this sort of concept of i see this now i want this now i buy i buy want to buy this now uh, perhaps they don't have that money necessarily that that free cash to buy it and and that's where you know the user opportunity um, it's sort of sitting. You know, social media. I think is having a, a massive play in this. You know, to to, to really, you know, show everybody anywhere, um, any brand, any products, uh, what is uh, this is something that's accessible to those people, and and perhaps uh, amplified by uh, you know sort of uh, so- socially um, lar- largest sort of individuals, which help to sort of promote these particular products too. Uh, you know, people wanting to, you know, perhaps the boundaries of, of the world starting to, to fall down in terms of travel, you know, access to you know, new technology. Um, and, and I think all of these things, in, including in Asia, you know, most definitely mobile, you know, growing you know, significantly. You know, here, here I think in Asia, it's sort of something like 75% of people um, are, are already engaging mobile payments, you know, which is massive. And, and really the opportunity here is Again, sort of seeing, you know, the the, the cashless society moving to, uh, sorry, cash society moving to cashless, uh, the internet, you know, effectively jumping, uh, you know, generations of, of perhaps what we sort of saw in, in, in Europe hist- historically and traditionally, um, and really this whole pop culture, I think, uh, uh, you know, sort of movement that's that's really growing and, and, and millennials are jumping on that, and, and obviously the next generation of, um, of Gen Z. You know, probably... Just diving one layer deeper, which I think is interesting that we sort of see in Asia related to this specifically, is is actually a move of, of consumers and especially that consumer group moving away from, you know, debt and credit, perhaps previous generations, you know, their parents have actually engaged or perhaps negatively been impacted by. And, and actually then taking up more, you know, uh, debit based or you know, digital sort of products that, Perhaps a little bit more accessible, easy to use. I, I don't have that desire to get into debt, so therefore I'll only use a debit card. And, and and all of a sudden, you know, buy now, pay later comes along and it creates a credit-like experience with perhaps you know the shackles not necessarily being in place, but giving them access to go and again, and you know, if I if I loop that back round to you know, see now, want now, buy now, you know, pay later. So that that's uh, that's I think where a lot of the drivers are sort of sitting.
0: Yeah. Um You know, with credit cards, and a lot of the young people do not want credit cards, credit term credit as this real negative connotation attached to it. Um, So effectively, like from a functionality perspective, buy now, pay later is sort of like short-term lending facility, right? Um, And the users don't necessarily think of it as the credit card, like the the application process, having to wait to receive a credit card, then to go and use. What are some of the mindset changes that you've noticed from your user base? Do they know that it is it is like a credit card, or is it like a credit card? Uh, what is the customers' financial literacy levels in using the service?
1: Yeah, that's, a, that's another super question. I mean, in Singapore, it's a very financially literate market. Um, you know, I think there's a there's a lot of education here. Um, it's quite a wealthy market as well. Um, so I, again, I think it's really that that sort of final item that I sort of shared around uh, the type of you know, consumer mentality and attitude towards you know, the sort of concept of of using credit to, to, to go and buy. Um, and, and so I think that you know, and although that I must say that that changes, I think in in other markets. Um, but I think, again, it, it comes down to, you know, I still want those items that I want to buy. You know, we, we live and die by our own uh, sort of marketing positioning, which we, we, we call responsible affordability. Um, and responsible affordability, you know, for us is, um, it, it is being careful with that consumer. It's, it's not personal financial uh, advice, but it's really sort of making sure it's not about, you know, spending wildly. It's about, you know, getting the things you perhaps want or you need. Um, you know, but still keeping a control of, um, you know, of, of that sort of spending. And, and I think that that's where we've tried to embed that kind of mentality into in, into our business, um, you know, to try and to try and sort of make sure that consumers are, are getting that fine balance, you know, between, um, you know, owning, buying, shopping, yeah. you know, more, perhaps more of a lifestyle approach to, to really moving away perhaps from that concept of paying and credit, you know, for example. Yeah.
0: Well, that leads me, I've had this thought. Um, so when you use a credit card, it builds your credit profile. So you want to get a mortgage and that can be used. So uh, customers that are using a, a, a platform like Hula, do they build a credit profile off the back of that or is that not in place?
1: Yeah, so one of the things that we, we do with our technology and, and perhaps sort of, sort of one of the benefits of this as well um, is it, very much around having something that's independent to assess uh, someone's um, ability to pay. Uh, you, you know, a lot of these sorts of uh, systems, you know, one of the first things they do is loop into the a credit bureau, for example, one of the challenges in Asia is that that's not necessarily prevalent in, um, in every market. Um, and, and, and so, you know, that would create a problem for us as we start to sort of, um, you know, uh, grow across multiple markets. Um, But but on the flip side, um, actually, it's a beneficial outcome, because if you're 18 to, say, 25, maybe 29, you know, sort of early 30s, you you might not have a credit footprint anyway. You know, you might not have had to access a loan for a mortgage or a credit card or or whatever that may be. Um, And so you don't necessarily get access to you know, some of those sort of financial vehicles that, uh, you know, you should be able to get to because perhaps you're earning good salary. It just, you don't have that sort of footprint behind you. And and I think that that's where technology can come at a, you know, assessing someone's footprints, you know, from a different angle. And th- and that's really one of our benefits, I think, from a consumer perspective and, you know, how, what we've built, we've, bought, we've built out.
0: Uh so what is the, the competitor landscape like in Asia, Pacific, uh, Singapore, Vietnam, Thailand, all these countries? And what made you set up the company in Singapore as opposed to Australia?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Good question. I mean, um, you know, Austra- Australia w- was obviously an inspiration. I mean, there's some fantastic companies down there, you know, that I know very well. Um, you know, I, I think it's been amazing to sort of see, you know, the growth of those, uh, those companies. Um they really have created you know built some some amazing products and sort of innovation I think is, is something that they a lot of the companies are also working on to differentiate. Um it's definitely a fantastic inspiration for us as a um, as a, as a company to go and sort of sort of see that happening. Um, but I, I think off the back of that, you know Australia is also um, a very um, is, is a market that is very sort of busy. You know, for us to sort of come into that, you know, it's a, uh, it's probably not a, a sort of commonsensical choice, and so we, you know, it's it's not a, a, a approach for us. So, and really, the opportunity, and perhaps back to the core of your question, is that, you know, that there, there really isn't that much competition, uh, at least across the Asia region. If you look, uh, you know, sort of uh, broadly, um, you know, there are a couple of companies that uh, have, have also done some you know, fantastic things in, in in certain countries. You know, there are. a, a a few different models and ways of bringing "buy now, pay later." And when I, mean, I you know, it, it, I'm, I'm seeing "buy now, pay later" as a, as a phrase being used for for, for everything, and uh, it's quite funny as it starts to sort of perhaps you know m- muddy what it what it truly is. But um, that, that's fair if, if people are understanding and listening, because it can only be good for us to, you know, to, to sort of popularize you know what 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 we do. Um, you know, so so for us, there really the opportunity when we set this up and started even thinking about it, you know, four odd years ago. Um, as we sort of st- saw, you know, companies like uh, Klarna and Afterpay and, and, and sort of Zip, for example, really, you know, creating great value, um, uh, w- was to sort of see a, a, almost a, a white sheet of paper in front of us to go and start drawing something on it, you know, because it really was a, uh, you know, sort of somewhat uh, nascent market, and, and really that's where you know a lot of our thinking was to go and do that, and Singapore. Well, I mean, it's probably a, a a personal angle and a and a work angle. You know, Singapore. If you've spent some time here, you know, it's a it's a super country. You know, it it really is sort of what's so well set up. It's very easy. It's it's tiny, easy to get around. You know, everything works. You don't really have to think too much. You know, generally, you just wear shorts and t-shirts most days. You know, because there's not. Uh,
0: I mean, you know, we can
1: any, do that in Sydney as well, can't you? <laughs> yeah, you, 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 you kind of yeah, but. Uh, and I do remember winter just being a slightly sort of uh, you know uh, coo- cooler, and at least having a maybe a pair of jeans and a shirt. But you know, it's very sort of simple. I think from that perspective too. Uh, to get around, technology is very strong here. You know, there's some great talent. You know, a fantastic education system. You know, reg- reg- the regulatory landscape is um, is very is very strong. And as I said, you know, personally, it's uh, it's a very easy easy place to exist. You know, there's a lot of capital here. A lot of venture capital companies that sort of based here, it, it's often seen as the, you know, the sort of uh, a, a gateway to the rest of Asia as well. So if you're looking at sort of scaling a business across the region, it's um, it's a great place to be from that perspective. And, and related to this business, it's also quite a safe safe spot to, to really sort of start to uh, innovate and explore and, and test and tease. And, you know, if you can build it here, I, I think you can probably build it in you know, most countries across Asia.
0: You mentioned uh, regulatory uh, requirements. I want to dive a little bit deeper into that. And to build a fintech uh, company, regardless of what solution that you're providing, uh, there are some strict and heavy regulatory requirements that companies need to meet. Um, could you shed some light on some of the similarities, differences between the ASIC and APRA and um and, and then the and Singapore regulatory frameworks and uh which ones more conducive for for startups to to establish themselves and is there opportunity for startups that are in Australia wanting to maybe move uh mm. maybe scale into Asia um what are some of the things that are really valuable to know for our audience yeah. um regarding that a- aspect
1: yeah sure that's a I'll be honest with you. I'm not a massive uh, um, expert on you know, the regulatory landscape in, in Australia, other, other than sort of what I sort of see and uh, and read. So I'm sure there's there's uh, there's bigger, better experts than you know myself in that situation. So you know, maybe, maybe if I look at um, you know, so Singapore and, and Malaysia where we where we launched last year, um, I think that the one the one thing that probably transcends regulatory landscape in in any market. Is that if you're a startup, typically you're probably challenging some sort of regulatory uh, requirement somewhere. There, there's typically some sort of grey grey area because you're breaking perhaps the norm. You're you're, you're innovating against uh, you know perhaps an existing model, and and typically regulation has a lag to uh, a lag period to try and catch up to innovation. Um, and so, you know, the biggest challenge, I think, I, I, in any sort of startup business is to, you know, find that balance between, um, you know, find that balance between, you know, not, not do, doing something that's, uh, you know, completely illegal um, and, and then hoping or, or you know, making good preparation for your business um, sort of set up um, and, and hope that, um, you know, perhaps it doesn't sort of get uh, the opportunity gets sort of blown out of the water, so to speak. Um, and, I, and I think what's important in, in that is to make sure that, you know, one, that you've got a, you know, a very good sort of legal part, part, uh, partner, I think, um, you know, that uh, is very, very much deeply connected to you know, the sort of fintech space, you know, perhaps the sort of regulatory bodies. Um, you know, in Malaysia, there are a lot of institutions and associations that, you know, can help, um, you know, get, get your feet up uh, in, on, the feet on the ground to, to start growing. Uh, MDEC is, is you know, a very, very good um, association that provides a lot of support to, to sort of startups. Um, you know, back to Singapore, you know, the MAS, the Monetary Authority of Singapore, you know, Singapore as a country, I think, is very forward thinking. It's very supportive of, um, of, of new innovation to drive, you know, inherent value and wealth in, in the country, especially it being a city state. And I think the sort of financial regulatory body here, um, you know, you can look at the types of, you know, the people that work there and their approach and their attitude. You know, the the, the bridge work that they do to other markets. It, it just goes to show, I think, of their intent to, you know, to sort of support, you know, rather than to sort of stifle. But it, it still remains. You know, it's very important to make sure that you're you're looking after the consumer. Um, I think in a- anything that you do, and uh, you know, we've definitely taken, you know, that approach in every market that we go to to make sure that we've engaged uh, as much as possible as early as possible. Um, you know, with the uh, with the authorities and the, and those regulatory bodies and um, and uh, the, the legal profession here.
0: Yeah, I mean regulation is sometimes uh, seen as the enemy of scale, uh, and there are certain startup verticals where there aren't that much regulatory constraints, but definitely for. For FinTech, that's something that companies need to think about and also from a cost perspective, um, account for those compliance costs that are associated. So in terms of building a company like Hula, uh, taking it from idea to a product launch or getting product into market to meet the regulatory requirements, build your your product, uh, build a customer base, do your initial integrations with your customers from a product roadmap perspective. um, One, how much funds are required to, to launch the product and what do you
1: build first? Mm, Listen, I mean, I, well, I think we've, we've only got, uh, you know, 30 minutes to chat. So this could (laughs) be another two hours uh, to to talk through the story of what we did. I mean, it was, it was, it was a, our, our specific journey was was reasonably long you know when we were sort of starting to think through what it was going to look like because you know there, there are so many challenges you know to overcome uh, as you sort of pointed out um but again it comes down to you know the sort of the, the spirit of startup in the first place you know if you've got the passion and the desire to do it you, you're going to find a way right it's the i mean you're wearing it on your t-shirt right now and i think uh, you have to have bucket loads of that to uh, you know yeah. to go and sort of make something um, happen um, you know when when I look at you know sort of all the different elements we, we had to just break it down I think into the you know the critical elements that we we needed to sort of cover off to get to you know what we defined as that as that sort of starting point what did we need to ultimately prove to either a merchant a customer or an investor that, that what we needed to uh, you know what we were building and the outcome of what that looked like I mean to be honest our MVP was you know, it was sort of somewhat simplistic, um, but it was beautifully put together by one of our co-founders, uh, Daniel, and uh, you know, it, it was uh, you know a fantastic uh, you know sort of celebration. I think when we saw our first transaction you know come through the system, you know, we we, we, we were very nascent, I think, until we raised our our seed funding as well um you know back into 2018 um but then if so if i work backwards from there you know what we had was a, a great team uh, an mvp that worked a merchant that that sort of saw the value um that would pay for it more importantly and, and customers that used it so you know if 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 i look back at that uh, the, the mvp across the whole business that you know the minimum maybe mvb the minimum viable business you know i think that that's the sort of the, the critical elements that we uh that we brought together. In terms of cost, I mean, I, I couldn't put a number against that, to be honest. It was uh, whatever it took.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so how do you then go from, you know, launching your your product in, in Singapore, uh, building partnerships and then starting to scale? Um, as a CEO, you have to make some very critical decisions that might be challenging at times. So how do you manage profitability versus growth? And how do you make that juggle?
1: Yeah, it's. It, I think um, there's probably something to be said for a startup mentality around that as well, you know. And, and there's to to me, and, and maybe I'm wrong. i you know, it, it, there is a difference between profitable and a profit profitable business model, uh, you know, with a plan. Uh, and and I think, you know, we've probably sort of seen, you know, three different, you know, versions. So, you know, companies that just create lots of customers, um, but and try to then sort of monetize that afterwards. And, and, and this is never, neither a, there's no opinion whether that's right or wrong, but it, it's an approach. You know, you perhaps have a, a profitable business model, at least, you know, with a plan to, to make a company profitable over time. And then you've got, you know, sort of uh, just profitable first and, and perhaps growth, growth last. Um, yeah. and, and for me, I think it's probably, at least in terms of how we've looked at our businesses to create something sustainable first. Um, at least in terms of a business model and, and and then you know really sort of grow sustainably you know off the back of that as well um, and I, I think that that was the imp- important because again when you're especially at this uh, the, the, the sort of the current times that we find ourselves in you know those companies that don't have a, a business model which can make money um, are probably you know sort of thought of less than those companies that have a, a business model that can uh, can ultimately make money in the future and, and sort of show that growth at the same time uh, and really sort of get to that point of, you know, break even and profitability a, a little bit sort of sooner off the back of, you know, the support of, um, of those sort of uh, the VC type uh, investors.
0: Yeah. And with also with growth comes a lot of risks as well, right? Cause you're dealing with multiple partners. Um, how do you mitigate that risk as you scale Um, and when opportunities come knocking on your door, there, there are capital requirements and then there are the regulatory requirements. So it's, as you mentioned before, there are a lot of trade-offs that you have to make. Um, and how do you manage that? How do you manage the risk? Because it's heavily, um, enforced by the regulators to meet those compliance requirements. At what level do you say, okay, we're going to ignore X, Y, Z part of the business for now, and then build something? Uh, because you have to make that trade-off And and what frameworks do you use to make those decisions?
1: That's a good question. I mean, we 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 we're not so sort of too um, you know to extremely different from any company in the sense that you know we have a, a, a every year and every quarter you know we have a plan and and we We focus on the elements that we think is going to contribute the greatest value to our business, uh, you know for us as as obviously as founders of the business, but also um, you know for the investors and shareholders that we have you know inherent within as well. Um, and so that plan is sort of something that we you know we put together. we We make those hard choices because um, there are things perhaps where other people have bias or uh, you know sort of perhaps personal interest to to go and follow. Um, but but ultimately, it's those tough conversations to say, no, this is this is the best outcome for us in the next so 12, 24 months. This is this is where we're going to head. Um, you know, I think. And then, you know, the, the, the risk element within that is you know, to, to, to me, it's like I don't know, maybe it's like um, I don't know what's the word. The difference between taking a risk and gambling. You know, gambling is is something perhaps you don't necessarily have a, a knowledge of an outcome. Um, You know, because it is literally sort of, you know, black or red, perhaps, you know, when you're in the casino, whereas, you know, I think taking risk in a business, you know, if you've done your homework and and you've done the groundwork and you've invested in understanding what that risk looks like um, and you can take that risk, you know, because of the the sort of return um, and the the risk is not too great, you know, depending on what your your approach is and, and perhaps what you need, what you could lose. Um, then uh, you know that's typically kind of how we go about doing things. Um, you know, there's a lot of homework, a lot of education, you know, a lot of sort of thinking. N- none of us are. <laughs> n- none of us are, you know, one person sort of described you know startups sometimes as being you know twenty-five year olds in hoodies, and uh, unfortunately, none of us are that age anymore. And, and uh, I think I've got a hoodie, but uh, don't wear it very often. So it, it's um, <laughs> you know, I think that there's something to be said for the kind of people that are you know building a business too.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, risk is, uh, there's always risk um, around everything that we do, right? And understanding and making those decisions sometimes can be challenging. Uh, In terms of your competitors in the market, what does the competitive landscape in Singapore look like uh, for your business? And how do you remain uh, competitive? Or what is the leverage that you have?
1: Yeah, listen, I think, um, you know, we, we were, you know, very much the sort of starter of this sort of concept in um, in Singapore. You know, in the concept of installments has been, you know, around a, a little bit, you know, with, um, you know, from sort of point of sale financing, for example. But the concept of buy now, pay later is something that, you know, we introduced into, into that market. Um, and, and I think, you know, what that gives us is you know, a lot of learning, a lot of, you know, experience, you know, we've built up a, a fantastic portfolio of, of, um, of merchants, you know, with merchants comes, you know, some fantastic data points, proof points, you know, to show, show that, uh, you know, what we do and the product that we've built, um, it, it is something that's, you know, sort of better than any other, you know, sort of player that may exist. Um, and I think that that's sort of somewhat proven in terms of, you know, those outcomes that we can, that we can deliver. It's, it's a, a very sort of solid, um, you know, sort of positioning um and, and you know in the other day when you're when you're sort of selling it's important i think always to uh, to position based on the value of the business too you know and you you, you listen to these customers what, what are they looking to do and they're looking for more customers they're looking to get them to buy they're looking for them to, to to spend more They're looking for them to come back you know time and time again so everything that we built in our solution is very much based around you know these sort of four different elements and rather than just being uh You know, uh, just being a payment company. You know, we're a lot more than that in terms of how we engage our merchants and how we integrate them ourselves into um, into them. And you mentioned the word partnership, and I and I think that that's probably you know maybe it's the semantics of English, but that's very much you know how we um, how we look about you know building that relationship. You know, there is this is not a here here's a bit of buy now pay later, and uh, I'll see you later um it's very much you know this is a, a solution that we embed into your your whole uh, you know your whole customer journey this is a, a channel for you to exploit and explore um, and we're here to work with you to go and you know maximize and optimize you know your existing investment into um into into conversion uh, and, and ultimately to help you drive even, even more that's why that's why we're here
0: have you noticed um because it's e-commerce and the products Uh, that are used uh, on e-commerce platforms, the brands could range from multi-billion dollar companies to very boutique individuals who've got an e-commerce store. Uh, Would you be able to shed some light around the breakdown of various different segments in your merchant relationships?
1: Yeah, I mean, we've taken a slightly different approach there, I think, as well to to some of the um, historical businesses um, that, um, you know, have, have been in this space. I mean, we, we, we've been very broad, very multi-vertical approach. Um, you know, consumers, for example, in Singapore, you know, the, the top elements that they look for is um, is travel, it's looking for uh, electronics. You know, fashion is definitely still part of that, but it's not the only, you know, vertical that's important. I mean, and, we, you know, when you look at you know, the success that we've had with you know, sort of 400-plus merchants that we have now, um, you know you can you can literally it's almost like walking into a department store and, and you know the different verticals that we cover from home decor to accessories to men's ladies fashion to uh, to lifestyle to to health beauty you name it you know we literally you know cover it and the and the i think what's really interesting is seeing the demand from other companies actually now looking at this is a solution you know we're, it, we we've had interest from you know, from uh, like internet dating, for example, to to insurance, to, you know. All well, what is things. the
0: biggest internet dating platform in Singapore?
1: I'm, I'm not sure. I understand <laughs> from my friends that uh, it's the one where you you swipe uh, you swipe right or left is, is still it's quite, quite
0: Bench, Bumble, RSVP, OkCupid, I don't know, there's like a whole bunch of companies
1: um really is very big for that there's listen there's, there's a there's a couple of companies here and and i i'm not really i've not really uh you know so but uh you know it, it is very still very much a popular space and in and the end of the day you know from a, a merchant perspective it's it's just making that you know that sort of service or product uh appear um a little bit more accessible you know to your to to a consumer and you know if that's what you know, makes the difference for them then why not you know In the end of the day, it is the the consumer that's going to make the choice uh, as to whether it's relevant to them. Um, So, uh, you know, that's very much that's very much. I think the interesting thing that we build here, you know, this is not just a merchant service or a consumer service. It's it's absolutely that network that you're creating. and, And it's very much inherent within our mission, which is to bring merchants and consumers closer together.
0: Yeah. And relationship building is hard work and um and sales cycles can be very long as well so essentially from what i understand your business is kind of like a b2b to c business and your relationship generally exists with the merchants um how long does it take to build a relationship having the first conversation to implementing the tech and and what are some of the steps along that cycle
1: yeah i mean it, it it's it's interesting. Maybe there is sort of two different answers to this. There's the there's the startup answer, in, in that you know no one knows who you are. You you're yeah. literally the ch- chicken or egg sort of conversation. I mean, I remember right back at the, you know, at the start, sort of fumbling around, you know, trying to you know sort of create uh, a, a, an image of a business, uh, you know, to try and create that trust um, inherently within this company where you know we didn't really have much at all. Um, and again, that you know, allude back to your T-shirts, you know, because that's, you know, what you're having to do an awful lot of. You know, I think that that's an appropriate uh, term for everything that we've done uh, and still continue to do and, and have to. Um, but but in the other day, you know, as you start to, you know, you get that experience, you get those proof points, you're able to, you know, to to deliver that back. You know, the relationships, it comes from, a, you know, perhaps networks that we already have here through partners. You know, you use the word partner, perhaps that's the other side of partner you know, where, where companies perhaps have also see value of, of providing this service or at least offering that to, uh, you know, to, to, to companies which, um, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, we sort of share an interest in, in working with and an outcome perhaps as well, more to the point. Um, and, and so, it, you know, it, it, it really is about making sure that, uh, you know, you've got those foundations in place. And, and when you look at the, the sort of sales process, you know, and a lot of my career has been in the, you know, commercial roles. Um, so there's a there's a little bit of bias perhaps or or sort of experience with that, but for me, you know, and what we've what we've put together is is very much you know having a very clear methodology and, and structure and and discipline and science almost around, um, you know, a process. You know, getting to know the merchant, understanding what they're looking what they're looking for, and how we can ultimately sort of solve those requirements that, you know, we, we're uh, you know we're looking to we're looking to to to, to deliver. Um, you know, again, as I said, those proof points that are important to to go and deliver the the fact that you you know you've done this before. You know we've got you, we, we can do this for you. It's sort of very simple. That there, there is something to be said for you know different types of companies. You know, I, I mean, I've worked with big companies and small companies in my career. You know, the bigger companies there's typically a lot of people that need to you know to be talked to and shared and understood. Um, and in smaller companies, perhaps you're dealing with the owner, uh, you know, of the business. It's a slightly different um you know engagement because you you have a more authentic you know direct quicker uh, conversation where you can make decisions perhaps a little bit quicker for their for their own stores um but that being said again if 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 the demand is there um and you hit the right uh, the right spot you know the sort of speed is almost uh, a determinant of, of of how keen they are to you know to move and you know we we've had you a know, sort of our, our quickest sale i think was in 20 minutes um, you know from uh, from conversation to contract and almost I think another sort of 30 minutes to go live I mean it really can be I think technology allows us to, to move that quickly um, and there are some companies you know we're still talking to after two years you know just because it's trying to you know, get this as a priority on their on a sort of a tech stack but um, it's all part of the fun.
0: Yeah indeed so we're. I, I still I love talking about partnerships but because I think any any businesses built on the base of trust and relationships uh, because human beings interact with human beings so you have your merchant site um and then you have the technology platforms that you have to work with to integrate to build um some way of connecting to your merchant so what kind of e-commerce platforms uh do you work with are there are these the big Shopify kind of platforms are there Asia-specific platforms? Could you talk a little bit more about your technology partnerships and the relationships there?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you hit the nail on the head, really. They're all really, really important. You know, for, for us to go and deliver a service to a merchant that uses one of these carts or technology platforms, um, you know, we, we have to be, or at least it makes a lot of sense to be pre-integrated to, uh, to that. Um, and where And where perhaps we're not, you know there's other companies perhaps where we can integrate to them to be a distribution channel for us to you know, to access those merchants and we're starting to sort of build that uh, that channel out now as well um i'll give you perhaps a really great great sort of case study and, and proof point for us you know we we invested quite heavily at the beginning into shopify you, you know you use that uh, that particular brand although obviously we work with sort of others as well but shopify have been you know, hugely supportive. It was. It was not an easy conversation at the beginning because, again, we're a startup with with, with very little. But um, you know, somewhat fortuitously, you know, their team trusted us to, to to build something amazing. Perhaps you know, based on the the experience and expertise that we had prior to setting up the business and and some of the connections. Um, and we we put a lot of effort into building up that partnership. You know, supporting them, supporting their brand, um, delivering value. You know, to their uh, their customers. Um, and actually, around I think it was about sort of two weeks ago, we um we were actually um they announced that we were upgraded to being a full payment partner uh, for them. Um, and th- there's very few companies that that have the honor, I think, of of being into you know getting into that sort of position, which ultimately means you know if you're a merchant, you know Hola uh, is very much there, you know present to just uh, effectively sort of add to their site uh, instantly. Um, and, you know, the commentary around that was very much around, listen, you guys have done so much for our, uh, you know, for our merchants and our, our customers. You know, you've delivered the value that you said you were going to deliver, you know, i.e. sort of increasing sales, increasing basket, you know, delivering, uh, you know, sort of brand value and their brand message to, you know, to the to the broader community. Um, but, but also, I think the effort that we'd put into that partnership around creating, um, you know, sort of Shopify uh, events you know, getting other speakers to come along, you know, creative environment. We, we've had some amazing events last year. It's a shame with, you know, COVID-19 that we you know, were itching to get out and do some more of these. But, you know, we've had 150, 200, you know, merchants turn up and and, and great brands like Facebook and Google come along to some of these sessions. And, and of course, people want to hear from, you know, some fantastic brands like that, you know, when they're trying to build their businesses. And, you know, you know for, for us, it's not about, you know, hula is the brand necessarily it's about our merchants brand that we're trying to promote it's their message that's important you know to their consumers you know we we just stand there you know for buy now pay later uh, and we effectively represent one trust of course because we're dealing with people's money and um and uh, and effectively it's lifestyle because that's what we're there to improve for, for our cons- for the consumers
0: yeah that is. That sounds like a lot of fun. I, I hope you are having some fun along the way.
1: Um, yeah, absolutely. It's it funny when the investor said uh, to us the other day, he said, you know what, Stuart, you know, one thing that you... You just have to remember said. you just have to have fun. So that's a very good reminder. Thank you.
0: (laughs) I mean, what is the point otherwise, right? Like you hustle so hard, you get, you live on the poverty line. People are telling you that it's not going to work out. You have all of these obstacles and you're climbing an uphill battle. And from the outside, it might look, you know, very glamorous, but I'm sure you've had many, many sleepless nights and uh, thinking about, you know all the usual things that founders think about, mainly around cash flow and when are we going to get the next um, sale, and all of these things that that bothers you. How do you keep focused? How do you convince yourself to continue? Uh, what are some of the? How do you overcome the mental blocks that you face?
1: I I'm worked that one out yet. So maybe uh, you know you can tell me, now, I'm jo- I'm joking. It's um. L- listen, I I think that the one thing that actually it's interesting the one thing I ask people you know when they come to you know for an interview um yeah, for, for the business um you, you know I ask them you know what is what is their sort of true motivation because a lot of people will say oh listen I want to make money or I want to build amazing things and and I you know everybody can say that but everybody has that one little thing that you know really sort of drives them that gets them out of bed that 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 um you know when they've been knocked back that gets them back on you know there's the you know the right path and and, and I think it, what's important is for myself to, to ask myself that question and, and obviously from the existing team and to remind that, you know, and, and, and it's those sorts of drivers that ultimately you remind yourself every day. But, you know, overarching, you kind of touched on it already. You know, you, you put so much sacrifice and hustle into something. There is so much, effort, so much sunk effort and cost of life, you know, that you put into trying to grow something from nothing you know, you know, those moments when you look up at your wall in your office and, you know, you've got this cardboard cutout of your brand name, um, you know, sitting there and it, and you think, my goodness me, that didn't even exist 12 months ago. And and there it is just standing there. And and now we've been in the newspapers, you know, we've, we've raised money. We've, we've got customers writing in every day, you know, talking to us. We've got merchants that write in going, I want to have Hula on our website. You know, you know, how can we get it? I mean, it's, it, it, it's that kind of stuff that you remind yourself every day that you know this is amazing. <laughs> you you even remember how how the brand name came around, and the and the and the the time you spent trying to come up with some name you know out of nowhere, and all of a sudden people people use it. You know, big brands are you. You know, we were in one brand the other day, and they were, oh, we love Hula, it's fantastic, best thing we ever did in twenty nineteen, best decision we made to to add it to our you know to our business. You know. It's created so much great outcome you know we want to add hula into this and hula into that and again you know the, the sort of the hairs on the back of your neck are sort of uh, you know standing up and tingling because you're so excited by the fact that you know again there's this there's this name that you, you you made up you know sort of two years ago and uh and, and there it is people using it in, in your everyday sentence so the sum total is is these little sort of moments these little wins you know you, you continue to sort of celebrate uh, you know along the way and again you remember why you did it and you know, the sort of value of what you're trying to achieve and, and perhaps what you want as an outcome. And there's always some personal drivers around that, you know, whether it be you know, family, you know, for, you know, definitely my little daughter, you know, is definitely one of those drivers for me as well. And I, I want to call that out for sure.
0: Yeah, amazing. I relate to all of those things that you you just said. We have a question from one of the members in the audience, Tim Chan. Um, Tim saying, do you think, Consumers will use uh, buy now, pay later more during an economic downturn.
1: Um, it's a it's a really interesting question. So I mean, I, I can only answer that with with factual proof as opposed to you know a, a thought. Um, you know, uh, d- just to sort of share. I mean, our business is growing. You know, month on month, about fifty percent. You know, from March. Um, you know, we just sort of finalized our figures for for April, um, and that's in terms of you know transactions and in in, in terms of sort of revenue and. and you know, when when you're looking at those kind of month-on-month, you know, sort of growth stats, you know, I, I've got to probably draw some parallels to the fact that um, you know we are in a different situation. That perhaps it's driven a little bit, and we can't determine this at the moment by virtue that people are in lockdown and um, you know that, uh, that that people are um, you know perhaps getting a little bit bored. We've definitely had some people write in, you know, saying, oh, "I'm just bored to tears. I'm t- sort of just shopping." you know you know from that perspective and and you you start to look at the distribution of transactions if, if when they come in during the day um yeah. but but also i think you start to sort of see you know perhaps the shift in terms of what people are buying as well you know you you know, it, 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 it's definitely um you know starting to see things like home decor for example and i've had to do the same i'm i'm sitting at a desk that only arrived uh you know on 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 monday of this week um And and, and so I think we're sort of seeing a lot of that, you know, a lot of you know what can you do at home stuff, you know, fitness at home uh, stuff. A lot of health and beauty. People not just wanting to be healthy, but uh, perhaps they're sort of sitting on these video calls a little bit more, and and, you know, they they have to sort of make sure that uh, maybe if the filters aren't working right, you know, to make sure that they're looking good as well. You know, Um, unfortunately, it doesn't ever work for me anyway, regardless. But um, you know, it it, it, you know it's those sorts of verticals. I think that we're starting to sort of see people. Uh, you know using but just for a different reason and in in the day merchants are in an interesting situation where you know they they're perhaps some of the shops are closed, right? so okay, how do I buffer my lost sales from an in-store perspective? Um, you know to and so online becomes more 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 prevalent and an importance sort of digital focus for them and and they've had to sort of shift pretty quickly um, if they haven't or, or already been doing it so how how can I get to drive more sales you know within that existing sort of online uh, you know, so space, how can I get customers to come to us? And we solve that problem for, for merchants. And then on the flip side, you know, it, it, it's an interesting time. You know, there perhaps there is a little bit of, you know, what's going to be, that? what's the future going to look like? What's the new normal going to be, you know, be looking like? And so if yeah. they are still, you know, sort of spending or need to spend or want to spend, you know, you know, perhaps if, if that price is, it sort of split a little bit, um, you know, it just makes it look a little bit more accessible for consumers to, you know to make that decision. So um, yes, is the answer. I think.
0: I've I've also been online quite a lot, looking at uh, various different things that I could buy. You know, and it's all around work desks and and how I could uh, make my workspace a lot better at home. And 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 it it must be so interesting uh, for you to see the consumer trends, how that changes and. And link it to some macroeconomic factors um, that happens, and see what are some of the trends. What do you see the trends of e-commerce for the next couple of years?
1: Yeah, I, mean, I, I it's interesting. I was on a on, a, on an economist um, panel last week, um, which was you know it's also very exciting, and 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 it was interesting. They they'd done some research, you know, amongst their the sort of companies, and. That it was uh, it was sort of a you know a, a, a kind of like a bar chart showing all these different industries and and you know the sort of uh, the, the the impact on revenue on the impact on profit and then e-commerce was in completely the opposite direction because actually it's been quite you know sort of successful at this time it, it's but the trend you know I think um, you know from that perspective so I, I think that's definitely you know sort of sped up the development of that. Um, as a channel to market it's not necessarily i think uh, you know going to be the only place that people shop you know having spent a lot of time looking at consumer behavior um you know consumers still like to sort of feel in touch sometimes you know logistics is a little bit harder um, in asia um you know because of its sort of fragmented um fragmented infrastructure um but so i think that people i do think that people are getting used to the, you know using that i was on a, a call with a friend of mine you know yesterday and he said even my even my parents know how to use zoom now so <laughs> when you start to when you start to put you know that sort of technology in the hands because they have to you start to see i think you know you, you drive that to uh, adoption uh you know from that so i, th- I do think that we're going to see a lot more that new normal is definitely going to be more digital or, or perhaps it will be it will enhance that omni-channel uh, experience uh, you know from a uh, you know from a solution perspective and and actually one of the things that you know we're building is uh, and about to deliver is uh, is our in-store capability as well so you'll you'll create that true omni channel o 20 whatever sort of you know terminology you want to use sort of experience where a consumer can buy online or or, or in the store but still experience that same you know uh, lifestyle that same experience of of not necessarily having to sort of pay everything up front
0: yeah yeah Consumer trends and consumer behavior is definitely a topic we could talk for days on end and we could do a whole new episode around that. I think we're coming up to time. Um, uh, before we wrap up, and, and thanks for everyone that joined in on Facebook and asking the, the questions on, on a Friday afternoon while we're all at home. Uh, what is your vision for next year? What is this one big goal that you would want to achieve for next year?
1: Um, COVID-19 to be uh, you know perhaps out of the way so we can go back to the office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> craving some win connection yeah well i it, it's ironic I mean, i'm i'm a reasonably sort of outgoing individual and uh, you know I, i've worked from a home office before i mean when i was in australia i, I did it for about 4 years uh, you know working uh, working uh, you know for a, uh, for a business I, and i was i was the, effectively the office for 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 a number of years in, in the australian market and I, i'm i'm reasonably okay with working you know from a from a home office but you know, trying to run a business you know from from home with a group of people sort of spread out that's a that's a slightly different uh that's a slightly different sort of matter um so it, it is good to create that little bit of um you know togetherness in, in person as you said at the beginning you know human, humans like uh, a, a little bit of sort of proximity and touch at least mo, mo, most do um yeah. and, and so i think that that's in, important so i think even just for the just for the you know the benefit i think of our team and our people that that's the important thing for us is to is to get back to that uh, you know sort of n- normal operating procedure but perhaps take advantage of, uh, of sort of some of the things that we've seen and, and outside of that you know to for hula to, to continue to grow to add value to our merchants um add value to our consumers i mean i, I see there's a question here you know some from facebook and you know, around pricing models for example you know for us consumers it's about seamless experience it's interest-free you know, we, we, we don't charge the consumer at all. Um, it, it's really the investment for a merchant to, you know, to engage that consumer. And so hopefully, you know, if that's our mission is to bring merchants and consumers closer together, that's ultimately what we want to, you know, what we wanted to, to deliver. You know, commercially for the consumer, it, it costs nothing. Um, you know, it, it's it, the, the cost and the experience is as seamless as, as we p- can possibly get it, you know, while sort of balancing, you know, risk and, and, and understanding of, the, of that consumer. Um, And really, again, it's for the, um, you know, it's the, it's the merchants effectively, you know, investment to to go and achieve that extra sale that perhaps they couldn't do themselves, or it would cost significantly more by doing so. And so, you know, really, that's how that's where our sort of commercial um, economics, uh, you know, operate.
0: Thanks so much thanks for joining okay. in. thanks for the audience that joining as well and um, I will see the rest of you on another event and sure make a suggestion to me nobody's trying to kill the queen you got best to three then it's time for me